Turn with me in your manuals to page 109. 109. While you're turning there, I want to make mention of a couple of things. Uh, a couple, there was a couple of questions. Number one, first question says, can you be saved and have a demon? Okay, listen. I know there's a lot of controversy on that. We're going to be doing a seminar in the, I guess, August or somewhere around there on some of this topic. Uh, we'll be studying the areas of demonology and deliverance and how those work. Uh, let me suffice to say this. That depends on what you consider you. Okay? You are a spirit. You have a soul. You live in a body. Now, can you, the spirit, you, born again Christian, have a demon? No. Can a demon attack your flesh? Yeah. Absolutely. Right? So it just depends on what you mean, have one. Right? Uh, the Bible idea of being demonized uh, has to do with influence. How much a demon can influence you, and the more he influences you, he starts to train you to think a certain way, and pretty soon he is controlling you by how you think and by your actions. And so in that sense, yes, he could influence your body, he can influence your soul. If you are born again, now again, there would be a point in... Now we get into the idea of uh, unconditional eternal security or as some people would say, once saved, always saved or losing your salvation. All of that falls under that category. But the, the simple answer is yes, a demon can live in a person's flesh. Okay? That, now when you read the word flesh in the New Testament, it doesn't always mean this meat. Okay? Flesh also has to do with a carnal nature, has to do with a fallen nature. So could he inhabit your soul? And that, Absolutely. If he gives you thoughts and you take it, yep, he's influencing you. So yes, in that sense. Okay. Uh, <clears throat> again, we don't have time to go into it all right now. We will be talking about that more at a later time. <clears throat> um, so you just said that the Holy Spirit does... Or, and does and administer the healing. Uh, I was taught by Derek Prince in his book, God's Word Heals. Yes, yeah, a good book. I've got it. Uh, to ask the Holy Spirit to go into someone's body and apply the blood of Jesus or healing power of Jesus to heal the part or the, of the body. Uh, is there anything wrong with this in your eyes? I don't see anything wrong with it. It just, it adds a step sometimes that you know, if it works for you and you can do it quickly, that's fine. The whole thing is we want to be able to set people free and not make it some long drawn out process where we have to tell them, okay, come to the office. I'll make an appointment and that kind of stuff. We got to minister like Jesus. It should be quick, easy, fast. However fast you can get there, wonderful. If that's what you do to release your faith, wonderful. I have no problem with that. Uh, I don't see anything wrong with it. Uh, I, I don't see it in Scripture. You understand what I mean by that? I don't see the practice. Now, I, again, I'm not against it. And, and people say, well, I don't see the practice of healing rooms in the Scripture, but you do that. I know I get that, you know, and I don't see the practice of using the Internet to pray for people. So and we do that. So I, I get it. So I hope you understand what I'm saying about this. I don't I don't have any problem against it as long as it's quick, fast, easy, the way it should be. Perfect. All right. Um, again, I don't see anything wrong with it. It's just a lot of times if we do things that we cannot go back and say, devil, it is written. Then many times he uses that stuff against us that we're doing. And we need to be able to say it is written. So the more we can do that, the more we can strip away of these things that uh, we don't have an it is written for, that's great. Okay? So, again, not against it. Sounds good. Uh, no problem with that. So, second one, or third one, what your one it is. Um, yeah. Luke 24, 47 through 49, Acts 1, 8. Jesus told the disciples to wait until the Holy Spirit comes upon them so that they might have power to be Jesus' witnesses. Yes. 
question. Do we need to have Holy Spirit coming upon us before we have great power to do great healings and miracles? Uh, yes and no. You can do it by faith, but if you receive the Holy Spirit in this way, it's faster, easier. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, exactly. That's the point. He is our helper, so let him help. All right? We're going to get to that in just a minute, as a matter of fact, also. Um, how could we let the Holy Spirit come upon us? Uh, you can actually go after it. Matter of fact, we're going to show you in just a few minutes how the, uh, in the secrets of spiritual power is what, the, what we call them. It's just seven things. And there are things that you can do that make you um, hospitable to the Holy Spirit for him to work through. Really, that's all it is, right? So um, the disciples, Jesus' disciples seem to understand uh, Jesus uh, when, he, when, yeah, when he went to pray, uh, yeah, about praying together, coming together in one, Acts 1, 13 through 14. And so they did come together and they waited. But now you have to remember, too, the day of Pentecost was a particular incident in the sense that they had to wait till he came back. He has come back now. And so he is here. Later on, you will see um, Paul, the others, all of them. Uh, even sometimes they laid hands on them. And, the, and they said, and the Holy Spirit fell on them as he did on us. So that's terminology, yes. Another one that says, while we spoke, the Holy Spirit fell on them. So there's not a ritual. There can be a hands laying on. You can impart uh, what a man has he can give. So you can impart. The apostles did it. Uh, but he can also, as you're preaching, uh, he can fill them. And the, the idea of him falling upon them, it, it's not, we don't want to get hung up in the terminology of what is happening. The, the key is at that point, they become open to and receive a, a new dimension of the Holy Spirit. Okay. Um, again, just, I hate to say it this way, but just like with demons, uh, demons and God both want to possess you. Okay. They both want control of you in the sense that they want to influence you. Demons want to take control and manipulate you. God wants you to give him control. Okay. So that's the difference between the two. So it is, um, it's always good to be working with him, and we will talk about that. Uh, if we already have all spiritual blessings, why did Paul lay hands on the 12 to receive the Holy Ghost in Acts 19? Didn't they already have him when they believed? Yes, <clears throat> they had him uh, in the sense, but they did not. Okay, there, are, there is baptism, meaning you're filled and overflowed and immersed, and then there is also filling and, and there's a, an aspect of receiving. So you can be born of the Spirit and be connected to God and yet still not having been baptized and even filled with Him. And so many people have been, many people have received fillings but not been baptized. Many times people will get filled to a certain degree and they will, they, they will stop there and they don't push on into full baptism. Okay? Um, Again, really don't have time to go into some of these details on this, but I will tell you this. Actually, this one goes right along with it, so I'll read it with it. You made a distinction between being born again and being baptized by the Holy Ghost. So those born again and are not baptized by the Holy Ghost do not have the Spirit of God dwelling in them. No, that, that, that's not a correct, um, it's not an accurate, total, total, totally accurate answer. Okay, or a question. What I mean by that is that, yes, they have the Holy Spirit. Their spirit has been recreated, but they have not been overwhelmed by him, meaning he has not filled them to overflowing to the point where that's, 
Okay, you can be baptized, and, and they said there's one baptism, but many fillings. Uh, but if you're going to, the idea is not to have the fillings. The idea is to get baptized, stay baptized, right? Stay overflowing, stay, keep that fullness. And he tells us how to do it. He tells us in Ephesians, be being filled, right, with the Holy Spirit. How? By speaking to yourself in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. That's a way that you can stay filled to overflowing. So the idea is he will baptize you, but yet you can do things to maintain that fullness. Jesus walked in the fullness of the Spirit, not just uh, a, a filling or a degree of filling. Okay. Now, uh, that's why I brought this out because of those questions. This book, it's in our bookstore. It's Concerning Tongues. It's one I wrote on tongues. It's not just tongues. The actual titles, uh, in, well, I'm not going to read you all the titles, but <clears throat> the beginning, there's about four or five sections the first section is called The Promise of the Father, uh, Baptism of the Holy Spirit, Levels of Infilling, Speaking Other Tongues. Then it says, Why Tongues? Because a lot of people have a problem with tongues. We go through, to my knowledge, and I, I've got every book I've ever found on speaking in tongues, both pro and con, both for it and against it. Okay? To my knowledge, this is the most complete book on tongues, specifically Baptism of the Spirit and tongues that I've ever seen. I mean, I, I wrote it, but at the same time, I've never seen one uh, that had more in it. Now, there, it doesn't go into a lot of detail on the gifts, things like that. It is specifically about the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, speaking in other tongues, tongues interpretation, how they operate, how to uh, maintenance tongues, warfare tongues. It goes into all that. So a lot of your answers will be in here, but we will be teaching on spiritual gifts in the near future. Now, we've got, yes, got that. So we will be coming back to this. Now, in this session, I'm going to go fairly quick, but I do want you to get a hold of it because this is one of those things that has become a, a big uh, issue in the church. It's on page 109, and it's, we just call it the truth about generational curses. And a lot of people, uh, they've, they've built an entire industry out of this because of all of the, uh, because of how often it comes up in ministering healing. We, I actually sat down and wrote a book called Generational Curses, The Bible Cure. And it just goes into details, um, pretty much what I'm going to teach now, just in a lot more detail, okay? Because in you know, 35, 45 minutes, we don't have time to go into it whenever the book goes into it. Um, so, and that's available in the bookstore also. So let's look at the manual. Beginning, and let's give you a rundown on these. In Numbers chapter 23, verse 8, it says, How shall I curse whom God has not cursed? Or how shall I defy whom the Lord is not defied? And this is Balaam, the prophet, false prophet, if you want to call him that, a fallen prophet or whatever, uh, saying this. And that's a, that's a good thing to remember. How can you curse whom God has not cursed? Okay? So let me give you an idea of where we're headed. We've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. And if we are blessed and Jesus became a curse for us, then how can I be cursed? All right? So that's the general idea. If God has not cursed me, I can't be cursed. All right? Now... The question is, then what is all these problems? Okay, And that was exactly why I wrote that book, because many times we're able to show this, but we want to emphasize where the problems do come from, how they operate, how they get started, all that kind of stuff. So we're going to look at this quickly here. In Exodus chapter 20, verse 3, and I'm just giving you the scriptures that people use uh, promoting generational curses. In verse 3 it says, Thou shalt have no other gods before me, 
Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them nor serve them. For I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation. Notice of them that hate me. Okay. So first off, it has to continue on and every generation has to continue to hate God for this to go on. That's just the first thing. In Exodus 34, and you'll notice these are in uh, pretty much in order of how you find them in the Bible all the way through. Okay. Exodus 34, verse 6. And the Lord passed by before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, and that will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and upon the children's children unto the third and to the fourth generation. And then I give you the rest of the scripture. Here's the point I want to bring to you, though. All right, before we move on any further, notice here in verse 7, it says, Keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, and that will by no means clear the guilty. You hear that? Now, people say, well, well that's not true because, you know, I was, I was guilty and now I'm saved, so he cleared me. No, he didn't. He did not clear you. Right? You have to understand, you, the only way you are cleared is by dying. You get that? Jesus didn't just clean you up, okay? You died. And you moved into him. And now you're in Christ and it's no longer you that live, right? So he didn't he didn't clean you in that sense. He he you have to understand he did not clear the guilty, right? He he poured out the what the guilty should get on Jesus. And for you not to get that, you have to be in Christ. So he didn't clear you, right? He didn't say, oh, don't worry about it. See, this is one of the problems right now, what's going on in the church, especially with some of the, the excessive uh, aspect of what they teach on grace, is that they don't understand this. That God did not just clear the guilty. He didn't just wipe the slate clean and go, okay, it doesn't matter anymore what you do because I, I took care of that on Jesus. That's not what happened, right? You have to realize that he poured that on Jesus, but the way you are cleared is that you have to die and you become a new person who does not live like the person who died. You got that? Now, that's as far as I got time to go into it. But let's go to the next one. The next one is in Numbers chapter 14. Verse 16 says, Because the Lord was not able to bring this people into the land which he swore unto them, therefore he has slain them in the wilderness. And now I beseech thee, let the power of my Lord be great, according as you have spoken, saying, The Lord is long-suffering and of great mercy, forgiving iniquity and transgression, and by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation. You'll notice all of these sound the same because they're all going back to the first verse and bringing them forward. Okay? Then, right after that, he says, Pardon, I beseech thee, the iniquity of this people, according unto the greatness of your mercy, and as you have forgiven this people from Egypt even until now. And the Lord said, I have pardoned according to thy word, but as truly as I live, all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord. And then he goes on to read more, and you can read more of that. But if you go down to Deuteronomy, verse, uh, chapter 5, verses 7 through 10, and you can compare those with Exodus 20, verses 3 through 6 that we've already read. 
And he says the exact same thing here. And in verse 9, he says, Thou shalt not bow down thyself unto them, nor serve them. For I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and the fourth generation of them that hate me. Now watch this. Here's the part most people never talk about. And showing mercy unto thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. Now, now we move to Ezekiel. Now there is another one. Actually, I could show you. Um, just write this down and read it later because it it's, goes right along with Ezekiel here. But in Jeremiah chapter 31, and you start reading about verse 30 or so, and you read through to about verse 34 is the main one. And you put those together. And if you look at them, Jeremiah 31 and Ezekiel 18 say almost, in, in some places there, exactly the same thing. So it's not just said one time, it's said twice. And you will notice uh, Jeremiah is just before Ezekiel. So something was going on that you'll see God is saying, here's what's going to happen. I'll visit the iniquity down to the third and the fourth generation. And then all of a sudden in Jeremiah, he says something else. <clears throat> and then he says it again in Ezekiel. And we're going to see what he says. Actually, what he says in Jeremiah, really pretty important. You need to read it because the, what stops this process, he says himself, in that day, I will form a new covenant, not like the covenant I made with your fathers when I took them by the hand and brought them out of Egypt, but I will make a new covenant. I will put my laws in their heart or in their mind, and I will put, give them a new heart and a new spirit. And he's talking about the time of the new covenant. And he said, and in that day, you will never again say that the fathers, that the sons will, will reap the, the uh, punishment of the iniquities of the fathers and vice versa. So the stopping of the idea or the stopping of the practice of what we would call generally generational curses, the one thing that stands out that says we don't do that anymore is the fact that we are now in the new covenant. All right? That's the key. And so go back and read Jeremiah 31. It's good. Now, Ezekiel 18. Now, I know it's all good, but still. <laughs> so if I tell you that, you might actually go read it. So, okay. Ezekiel 18. <laughs> Ezekiel 18, verse 1. Now, let's take it piece by piece, okay? Because if you're going to be out ministering, you're going to come across this a lot. And you need to have an answer ready so that you can just unconditionally stop that teaching in its tracks. It needs to be stopped, okay? Verse 1, the word of the Lord came unto me again, saying, notice this is the word of the Lord. This is not a, here's what I think. Thus saith the Lord. You got that? That's how important this is. He says, the word of the Lord came unto me again, saying, what mean ye? That you use this proverb concerning the land of Israel, saying, the fathers have eaten sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge. Now that was their proverb that they used to encapsulate Generate what, the, what we generally call generational curses. Okay? Now look what God says. As I live, saith the Lord God, you shall not have occasion anymore to use this proverb in Israel. Okay? So if we stopped right there, that's it. Right? I mean, he just said right there. Never again will you use this. Okay? But let's go on and let's see what, it, what reasons he gives and how this plays out. Behold, all souls are mine. In other words, I will decide what's, what happens here. As the soul of the Father, so also the soul of the Son is mine. The soul that sinneth, it shall live. Hear that? What is that saying? Everybody is responsible for themselves. Hear that? You're not responsible for your 
father, your grandfather, anybody else, you are the soul that sinneth. It shall die. Not the, the soul of the son of the soul that sinneth. Right? Verse 5. But if a man be just and do that which is lawful and right, and then he gives the list of what he means by that and gives you an idea, and has not eaten upon the mountains, neither has lifted up his eyes to the idols of the house of Israel, neither has defiled his neighbor's wife, neither has come near to a menstruous woman. And Now watch verse 7. And hath not oppressed any, but has restored to the debtor his pledge, has spoiled none by violence, has given his bread to the hungry, and has covered the naked with a garment. And notice, he, he, he get all this? He's saying, if you're doing these things, if a just person does these things, he that has not, he that has not given forth upon usury, neither has taken any increase, that has withdrawn his hand from iniquity, has executed true judgment between man and man, has walked in my statutes, and has kept my judgments to deal truly. He is just. He shall surely live, saith the Lord God. You hear that? So if a man does what's right, he's going to be treated right. Okay? If he, who, who he, he who, okay? The, the just man, okay? If the just man beget a son that is a robber, a shedder of blood, and that does the like to any one of these things, and then he gives the list, and that does not all of those duties, but even has eaten upon the mountain, and defiled his neighbor's wife, has oppressed the poor and the needy, has spoiled by violence, has not restored the pledge, has lifted up his eyes to the idols, has committed abomination, has given forth upon usury, has taken increase, shall he then live? He shall not live. He has done all these abominations. He shall surely die. His blood shall be upon him. And what's he saying? The soul that sinneth shall die. Isn't it right? Mm -hmm. So he, all he's saying is, if you do right, you'll be treated right. If you do wrong, you'll pay the consequence. Isn't it right? He's not talking. Now, he, this is in direct contradiction to what he just said at the very beginning meaning he is contradicting the idea that the, the fathers eat the sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge. In other words, he's saying the children are not going to bear the brunt of their father's sins. You got that? Yeah. Everybody pays for their own. Okay, I hope you understand what I mean by that. Now, but watch this. <clears throat> now in verse 14, it says, Now lo, if he beget a son, he who, not the just man, this is the bad kid, so you got the just man having a, 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 a bad son, and now you got the bad son producing a son. And he says, now, lo, if the bad son produces a son that sees all of his father's sins, which he has done, and considers and does not such like. In other words, if the son of the bad son sees all of his bad father's sins, and he says, I'm not going to be like that, and he doesn't do it, Right? doesn't follow in his father's footsteps. That has not eaten upon the mountains, has, verse 15, neither has lifted up his eyes to the idols of the house of Israel, has not defiled his neighbor's wife, uh, neither has oppressed any, has not withholding the pledge, neither has spoiled by violence, but has given his bread to the hungry and has covered the naked with a garment. Now watch this, verse 17, that has taken off his hand from the poor, that has not received usury nor increase, has executed my judgments, has walked in my statutes, he shall not die for the iniquity of his father. He shall surely live. You hear that? So the bad father 
can do bad things and the son can see it and say, no, I'm not going to do that. And it says he will not suffer the consequence of his father's sins. You see that? So now he's saying this all the way through. So there's no mistaking. This isn't one verse taken out of context, right? This is all the way through. As for his father, now who's the father? The bad guy, right? Because he cruelly oppressed, spoiled his brother by violence, and did that which is not good among his people, lo, even he shall die in his iniquity. So now he's going back. Just so you know, uh, the bad guy, yeah, he's going to pay for it, right? Verse 19, Yet say ye, why? Does not the son bear the iniquity of the father? Now, this is, a, this is directly related to the teaching of generational curses. Is it, wait, you're, what, shouldn't the son bear the iniquity of the father? Isn't that what you've said before? And remember, this is all God talking. God is saying all of this. So he's saying things and answering their questions. And even before they ask it, he's answering it. And he's saying, yeah, you're saying this. And he's saying, he's giving the answer even before they say it. When the son has done that which is lawful and right and has kept all my statutes and has done them, he shall surely live. The soul that sinneth, it shall die. The son, he says again for emphasis, the son shall not bear the iniquity of the father. Neither shall the father bear the iniquity of the son. The righteousness of the righteous shall be upon him and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon him. Is there any question about the idea of, uh, of generational curses? Pass not. Now, I know you say, well, then, okay, what is this problem? Why, why do these things? Okay, well, let's, let's look at this piece by piece yet, and we'll get there. He goes on to say in verse 21, but if the wicked, now get this, not only are, if you live good, will you be okay? And if you live in iniquity, you're gonna, your soul shall die, is what he says. Not only that, but there's even better news. If the wicked will turn from all his sins that he has committed and keep all my statutes and do that which is lawful and right, he shall surely live, saith. Now notice, he shall surely live, live, he shall not die. You see that? Now it's not only is the sin not passed down, but now even the one that sinned can live if he'll just turn around. Isn't that simple? See, but the reason people have built this thing up is because two, twofold. Number one, they can't get the people free. Okay? And when they can't get the people free, they have to come up with a reason. And in the process, if they can make that reason also something that gives them an industry and a job and a money-making thing, guess what? That's what it'll be. And that's exactly what this has turned into in the church. Verse 22. All his transgressions that he hath committed, they shall not be mentioned unto him. Well, now, wait, wait a minute. When did that happen? Because that surely wasn't under the Old Testament. So when did that happen? That would have to be in the New Covenant. Isn't that what he said? I will never remember your iniquities anymore. Right? In his righteousness that he has done, he shall live. Now watch what he says in verse 23. Have I any pleasure at all that the wicked should die, saith the Lord God, and not that he should return from his ways and live? And God said, you... You, we say these things and you put these things out as if I enjoy the idea that the wicked are going to die. He said, I don't want the wicked to die. He said, I want them to turn and live and be righteous. So now notice there, there should be no more question about this ever again in anybody's mind because we know also that especially now, okay, this, and this you have to realize at the time of Ezekiel, this was still all Old Testament. The, the new covenant has not been enacted yet. 
And yet he's saying, even, even in the old covenant, if you would do this, you'll be accepted. See, and yet now we come along and I say we, I'm talking about people in the church, <clears throat> come along and try to build this thing up. Uh, like I said, because generally they can't get people free. And that's exactly what's happened in a lot of the grace teaching is that what it is is the standard was here and people never reached it. So they decided to bring the standard down. And they, so they change the terminology and change everything so that they can reach it rather than realizing the purpose of grace is not to say you can live any way you want, do anything you want, sin all you want like you used to and it's okay. The purpose of grace according to Titus is to show us how to live above sin, not live in it. How to, li to give us power to live righteously in this world. Right? That is the purpose of it. Now, he goes on, and just to give you an example, to show you that some of this teaching was still going on in the, um, whenever Jesus was around. John chapter 9, verse 1 starts out and says, As Jesus passed by, he saw a man which was blind from his birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Master, who did sin? This man or his parents, that he was born blind. Notice they thought that. Was it him or was it his parents? Had to be a sin, right? Jesus answered, neither is this man sin nor his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night comes when no man can work. As long as I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. When he had thus spoken, he spit on the ground, made clay of the spittle, and he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay. And he said unto him, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is by interpretation sent. He went his way, therefore, and washed and came seeing. And you can go through this whole thing here. It's, it's really amazing uh, what took place after this because his parents were just really cowards. Okay? Because they, they didn't want to get kicked out of the synagogue, so they were afraid of it. So, anyway, now I want you to go to. Now, let me just ask you is there any question that generational curses still apply? Okay? Just from this. Because remember, everything we look at. We have to look at it also through the filter of the new creation. And we hadn't even looked at that. We're just saying strictly from what is said, generational curses don't apply. Now, you add to that the filter of a new creation where we have a heavenly father, not a heavenly grandfather, right? Well, we have a heavenly father and he is our generation and we go back one generation, right? And there is nothing considered. And God said, once your sins are remitted and they're washed away, they will never be remembered again, right? Now, how, how can you correlate that with the fact that people say there are generational curses on us, okay? And yet say, well, wait a minute. Uh, he said he would never remember my sins, right? If he's not going to remember your sins, he's sure not going to remember your dad's sins and put them on you. You see, but we've brought that thing in because we don't look at it all the way through. I'm going to say something extremely blunt and straightforward here. You cannot teach generational curses and the new creation at the same time. You cannot do it. You will contradict yourself constantly, right? You can only teach the new creation. You say, okay, then, then what is that? What, why are these problems? Well, he tells us right here. The whole key is this. Whenever a son sees his father's sins, he makes a decision to do them or not do them. If you do them, well, let's just say start first start, uh, you don't do them. You see them and you decide not to do them. Guess what? You're going to live. It's going to be good, right? You're not going to have the same problems your dad did. But if you do the same things your dad did, it's not a generational curse, right? It's generational sin. 
You're doing the same sins and you will reap the same benefits of the same sin. It's not his sin is passed down to you and you can't help it. It is you deciding to do the same thing and the same thing will have the same consequence. Amen. It's just that simple. Now, with myself and listen, I love my dad. My dad was uh, uh, he got saved about 20, 25 years ago. Uh, he passed away in 2011. And when then, but before that, uh, he was an alcoholic. He was a policeman all my life. He saw a lot of stuff, and I'm not making excuses. Believe me, I do not make excuses for alcohol of any sort. I saw what it did. I saw what it did to him. I saw what it did to our family. I saw stuff that I shouldn't have seen, all right? Stuff that stayed, okay? That you're, you have to go back and go, yeah, that's, uh, he, that, that person's gone, all right? Uh, because he got saved about 25 years ago, and he was a man of God from then on, right? But the whole point is this. I was an only child, well, still am, technically, okay, uh, from my earthly dad. So if there was anywhere for the generational stuff to come, it ain't going nowhere but me, right? There's nowhere else for it to go. It was coming to me. And I can tell you, when I was nine, I saw the sins of my father, and I denied them, and I said, I will never touch that stuff. And I kept that vow, and I'm telling you, I've never even been tempted. It's never been a problem for me. It's not even been, I'm telling you, I've never even been tempted to drink, right? And the other vows I made, same thing. Why? Because I saw the sins of my father and I did not do such like, right? And because of that, I've been blessed. I'm not saying, now listen, I'm not saying I was all good and all that stuff. Uh, you know, honestly, I should have made a lot more vows uh, because all the other stuff I, I did, okay? Uh, There's just a few things there that I made a vow, and I never did those. So it wasn't that I was all good. It's just I didn't do those. I should have made other vows and not done the other stuff too, right? But the point is this. If this thing, if people have this idea that to break this over a life, you have to go back and find it. If you think that, then the new covenant, the new creation means nothing, and when you do that, when you say that, Jesus said, this is my blood in the New Testament. Think about that. If you say the new covenant means nothing, you're saying his blood means nothing. Right? We are new creations. It is a brand new world. And if you want to know, you, people say, well, then why does this person still have that problem? You know, they're, they're a Christian and they got the same problem their daddy did. Well, that's because they're doing the same things their daddy did. Right? And you say, well, how do you fix that? You renew your mind. See, you can see people that have been Christian for 30 years and their life never seems to take hold and become blessed and to, and to step out of the problems and stuff. And I can tell you exactly, I don't even have to know them. I can tell you why. They've never renewed their mind because Romans 12, 1 through 3 tells us, do not be conformed. First off, he says, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, right? That's the first thing. And you can't present yourself a living sacrifice and do some of the things that people do. Right? And so then he tells us, do not be conformed to this world, but rather be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that we can prove what is that good, perfect, and acceptable will of God. Good, acceptable, perfect will of God. So you have to realize this, that what happens is to renew your mind. How do you renew your mind to get, because people can live, they can, be, they can confess Christ, they can have a heart toward God, and yet their lives are a mess and they're a mess for years and years and they never seem to come out of it. And it's because they've not renewed their mind. Their spirits have been recreated. But the Bible doesn't say 
by the recreation of your spirit, your life is transformed. It says by the renewing of your mind, your life is transformed. That means, listen, what is in you is new. For it to be seen on the outside, that's called transformation. For it to get out, it has to go through your soul, which means your mind has to be renewed. When your mind is renewed, the outside will look like the inside. Most people have never done that. We, we think it's just supposed to happen, and yet we are commanded to renew our minds. We do it. God doesn't do it for us. We do it. And because we haven't done it, we still suffer some of the same things. So whenever I started looking at these things, and whenever I started seeing this, and I started asking God, why does this work? Then he took me into what we now call the new man or the new creation. I started analyzing that and looking at what Paul said. Because you have to remember that Paul's teachings... Jesus said, there's a lot of things I want to share with you, but you can't bear them now. And then Paul got saved, and then he had interviews with Jesus, so to speak, right? And he received revelation. And the revelation he received literally were the continuing teachings of Jesus that Jesus wanted to share with them, but he couldn't because they were carnal and wouldn't have understood it because the carnal mind cannot understand the things of the spiritual, right? Because it's foolishness to them. And so <clears throat> because of that, Jesus said, now I can tell you, teach this. And Paul spent at least 30 to 40 years teaching the new creation. And so whenever I started looking at that, I started realizing the new creation, as we renew our mind to the new man, that's when our life starts looking more and more like Jesus. And when we do that, now there's a process to it. It's not hard, but there is a process. God made us to function a certain way, but you don't. L listen carefully. Paul said, forgetting the past. I press on toward the high calling of the prize of the mark and high calling in Jesus Christ. He said, forgetting the past. He said, I've got all kinds of things I could brag about, but I purposed when I came among you to know nothing but Christ and him crucified. Get it? And so as we started looking at that, I started realizing all this stuff that we do mostly in counseling in churches, we go in, we try to go back to the source. You have all kinds of things and they all come under the same category. You have people where they'll put you into a near hypnotic state and take you back almost like past life regression type stuff and take you back and say, okay, where, where did the problem start? Well, it started here. All right. Well, now Jesus is there somewhere. So now where's Jesus in that? Where is he standing? Oh, I see him. He's over there. Now that's conjuring up spirits. There's nothing that says Jesus is going to appear just because you go back and try to find him. Right. And that is wrong. And it was invented by a psychologist who could not get people free. And he had to come up with another method. And he started putting people basically under what would be considered a mild form of hypnosis. Right. Which makes them very open to suggestion and they can see anything they tell them to see. Right. And so I've done the research on this. I've looked at it because I was looking at how do you renew the mind? And in doing that, I realized you renew the mind with the new man. You take what Paul said. When he said that old things are passed away, all things become new and that all things are of God, then we have to go in and find out what he said in Philemon, that he said that you are, um, your faith becomes effective by, the, by acknowledging every good thing that is in you in Christ Jesus. And so you go in and find out what is in Christ Jesus and you start saying, guess what? I'm accepted in the beloved. You know what that means? I don't have to deal with rejection. And see, so we can take every one of the problems, and that's, that's one of the big problems, is that the church goes at the, just like psychologists do and everybody else, they try to fix the symptom 
rather than getting to the heart of the thing. And they, they will try to go back and go, okay, why do you feel rejected? Were you rejected by your mother? Were you rejected by your father? Let's go back and see this, where this rejection is. No, I don't have to go back there. Why? I don't have to deal with rejection. Why? Because I'm accepted in the beloved. And his acceptance trumps any rejection I've ever had. So now I'm accepted and I don't have to fear what man will say of me because I know what God has said. And what God has said, he has said every good thing about me he could possibly say because that's the, that's the literal translation of Ephesians 1.3. When he says we, he has blessed us with every spiritual blessing, it literally says he has eulogized us with every eulogy he could make. That's the actual Greek words. If you go in, before we get the idea of, of eulogy, it's eulogoia or something like that. That's the closest the Texan can get. So. <laughs> but it literally means to say good things about. So God has said every good thing about us he can. And when he says good things, it comes to pass. So yes, we have received every good thing he said. And that means we are blessed with every spiritual blessing. So you go in and find out what he said about you. He said, people say, well, you know, I'm just, I'm just afraid that, um, you know, I'm going to get sick. I'm afraid of this disease. I'm, I'm a, you know, germaphobe to the point where I just can't function. And okay, well, first off, let's go in. If you have fear, why do you have fear? Because perfect love casts out fear. So if you're having fear, it's not the fear, fear is not the problem. The problem is you have not yet perfected the love of God. You don't know how much God loves you. So let's go look at the love of God. Let's not worry about your fear. Once we get you full of the love of God and understand the love of God, fear will be gone. You'll look around for it and it won't even be there. So see, it's not by you going and digging out the bad roots. It's about you going in and making sure you're planting the truth of the word of God. Right? So it's not about digging up your past. It's about showing who you are now in the spirit and showing your future. Amen? Amen. That's the real new man. We're going to be doing a, a seminar in the near future on the new man based upon what most people would call inner healing. And it's going to be going into all these things that people deal with. And we're going to give you the biblical answers for each one. And then as you apply those, your mind will be renewed and those things will fall away like dead fruit on a, you know, rotten fruit on a dead tree. Amen? And it'll be a whole lot faster and it won't take you years and years to go through it. And best of all, we're not going to charge you a dime for it. Amen. We're not going to charge you by the hour on our couch. Okay. So now let's move on here. Look at, point, look at page 115. 115 shows us the protection that we have. I'm going to have to send you to break here in just a minute. But look at Luke 10, 19. Behold, I give unto you power, exousia, authority, to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power, the dunamis, the ability of the enemy and nothing shall by any means hurt you. See, there's a several words that Christians don't believe. We already mentioned two of them today. Whosoever, whatsoever. Here's the third one. Nothing. Right? Christians don't believe that nothing shall hurt them. When we say that, many times they say, well, I know it says nothing, but I know some things can hurt me. Well, that's not what the Bible says. Right? He says when you're, see, that's what I always get questions. People say, uh, when I'm casting out a devil, uh, you know, what, how do I keep it from jumping on me? Okay, first off, if you got the power to cast it out, it don't want you, right? It, okay, it don't want on you. It don't want what you got, right? What you got repels it. Listen, it's not just because you stand there and tell it to go that it goes. When you get close to it, you are light. And when you get close to it, it repels that thing. So if he leaves, he's not coming to you. He's going away from you. People say, how do I keep from getting a devil? Remember what Dr. Sumrall told us. He, we asked him the same question. How do we keep from getting devils? He said, flies don't land on a hot stove. You keep hot and on fire for Jesus, uh, none of those devil flies will land on you. Don't even worry about it. Right? Okay, he had some good old-fashioned wisdom there. Right? And so we need to realize nothing shall by any means hurt you. 
Amen? And so another one that no Christians believe or generally don't believe is the word all. Right? He healed them all. Well, he didn't heal all because, you know, there were some that didn't know. He healed all. All things, whatsoever you should ask. Well, not all things. Yeah, all things, right? And then the, finally, the fifth one is the word any. Anything you shall ask, right? Anything you will ask in my name, that will I do. Well, not anything. Well, okay, not for you, but for everybody else that believes it, yeah, anything, right? So just, you just decide, okay? So, all right. Now, Psalm 91 is a good one, right? Tells you all the protection. You dwell in the secret, secret place of the Most High. Abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord. Now look, it's important. If you're going to abide, you want to abide in the secret place and in the shadow of the Almighty, you must say of the Lord. That's how you abide there. You say of the Lord. What do you say? He is my refuge and my fortress. What are you saying? The enemy can't touch me. So you must say, okay? My God, in him will I trust. Surely he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the noisome pestilence. He shall cover you with his feathers and under his wings shall you trust. His truth shall be your shield and buckler. What is his truth? His word, right? His word is your shield and your buckler. Now, <clears throat> he says, You shall not be afraid for the terror by night, nor for the arrow that flies by day. See, these are good scriptures, especially for right now. You will not be afraid of terror. Amen? The men, see, the enemy wins if you let him get you into fear. If you do anything abnormal. If you go out of your way not to do something, he's won. You understand that? Whenever the big anthrax, remember years ago when the big anthrax scare and everybody's afraid to go to their post office box because they're afraid they're going to get a, a letter with, with anthrax in it. And so I, I had next door neighbors. Well, I didn't even check my mail for the last two weeks. I'm afraid I'm going to get anthrax. I'm like, no one even knows you exist. <laughs> you know, I didn't even know who you were for the first six months we lived here. You know, never see you. No, you know, you wave at it and everybody ducks and runs and hides. And, well, I heard he was a preacher. Yeah, well, you won't know because you never said anything, right? And, and these people are afraid they're going to get anthrax. And it's kind of like, well, at some point we got to show something. So we went to the post office and there were people in there. And it's so funny watching them. I, I've had the same post office box since 1991. Same, I've got another one now with it, but I still have the first one. And it was funny. We'd go in there and watch these people open their, their P.O. box and they would stand in back and open it like it's going to, blow up or something on them when they sit or, or you know, this powder is going to blow out in their face or something. And it's so funny watching them. And it's kind of like, you want me to get that for you? I'll reach in there and pull that thing out. Here you go. You, you know, it's amazing how fearful people are and you can see it on people. You know, one, that's one of the reasons why people don't talk to people and you talk to them and they kind of go, leave me alone. I don't want to talk to me. It's that fear of people. And we have, to, and you know, there's two major fears that they say most people experience. Number one is the fear of public speaking. That's number one, right? Number two is a fear of flying. Now, it's amazing because Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel. And now if you're going to go into all the world, you're probably going to have to fly to get there. So the two biggest fears that people have directly correlate with preaching the gospel. Isn't that something? Think there might be something to that? Yeah. So somewhere we have to break those fears, right? And get people to preaching, get them to be speaking in public, get them on planes, get them to fly around, whatever it takes, you know? But break that fear. Whatever you find you're afraid of, do it. And break that fear. Don't let, because whatever you let fear, whatever fear you let stay, when, it, when the time comes and God wants you to do something and you start to step out, then the devil will pull out that card and go, oh, no, you don't. And he'll make sure that fear keeps you back, right? You need to be completely free and have no fear of anything. One of the chief um, <clears throat> characteristics of the new covenant 
is in Hebrews when he says, who these people who through fear of death were in bondage all the days of their life, that now they've been made free. Why? Because their, their conscience has been purged of sin. See, sin makes afraid. When Adam and Eve sinned, the first thing they did, they went and hid. God said, Adam, where are you? He said, we're over here. Why, why, why are you over there? Because we were afraid. Why? Because they sinned. Sin breeds fear, right? And whenever that happens, we need to be able to break that in people and break that, that fear. And whenever one of the, like I said, one of the chief characteristics is that when you come into the new covenant, you have no more fear of death. Why? You've already died. Now, if you hadn't been taught that, then you might want to check your salvation, right? Because if you ain't dead, you're still subject to the law. You're still subject to all of that. You've got to die. Once you die, then you're, you're no longer subject to that, right? Now we live, listen, I don't live by the Ten Commandments. I got two. Yep. Love the Lord thy God with all the heart, mind, soul, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. And as long as I do that, I will never violate the Ten, yep. right? So I don't even have to worry about the Ten. All I got to know is two, right? That's easier than being Buddhist, Right? Buddhists has got the eightfold path, right? Islam, they've got the five pillars. They've got to know five things. Uh, Buddhists, you know, Buddhists, they have, to, they have to know eight things. Jesus comes along and says, oh, and even Judaism. Judaism had to know 10, you know, minimum of 10, a bunch more, 613 more later. And yet Jesus comes along and says, no, it's just two. Isn't that easy? And yet we've turned it into all these other rules. You know, you got to know everything. You don't have to know everything. You just got to love God and love people. It's not what you don't do. It's what you do. See, you get so busy doing the do's, you don't have to worry about the don'ts. Amen? That's pretty much how I live my life, and it's a good life. So go to quick break. We will come back in about seven minutes.